0: nvbdc.org. It was established to certify both service-disabled and veteran-owned businesses. You'll find out how they can help your business by going to nvbdc.org. We want to thank Legal Help for Veterans. Legal Help for Veterans fights for veterans' disability rights all across the nation. You can reach them at 800 693 Four eight zero zero, or on the web at legalhelpforveterans.com. We also want to thank our latest national sponsor, Veteran Lending Council. It is a community dedicated to educating lenders, realtors and veterans on the VA Home Loan Benefit program. You can check them out on Facebook and other social media outlets we want to welcome to veterans radio today rich Kostenga. rich is a marine uh he served from 2008 to, to 2012. he had some uh interesting times over in afghanistan and, and what we're going to talk to him about today also is uh his instructor role for the marine special operations command or marsoc and i don't ever think we've t- spoken to somebody on veterans radio about Marsak. So, Rich, welcome to Veterans Radio.
1: Thank you, sir. Good to be on.
0: So, how did a nice guy like you end up in the Marines back in 2008?
1: So, uh, going back to 2007, um, I was playing some football in college. Freshman year, uh, ended up blowing a shoulder out. Uh, sophomore year, blew a knee out. And after that, it was, hey, scholarship's going to get cut. Uh, I always had intentions of joining the military. but um, I had an ACL surgery in 2007, and um, a friend of mine, uh, we were just talking, and we ended up uh, both enlisting, going on the buddy program. Uh, I wanted to go to the officer route first, uh, that's why I was in college, but I actually wanted to fly fly planes in the Navy. Never got that opportunity, so I figured what was the best thing but to uh, enlist in the Marine Corps.
0: Well, uh, I've been chasing Rich for a month or more now to get him on to talk about MARSOC. And he uh, contacted me today and said, hey, Jim, today would be a great day. I'm off work a little bit. He works. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But he said, I blew my ACL out, and uh, I'm on uh, leave while we figure this out. So is it the same knee or a different knee than you blew out in college?
1: So different knee than college. But however, this will be the third ECL uh, surgery since 2008. <laughs> uh, I blew the same knee—the uh, one I blew on Thursday here. I blew back in 2017 uh, in a relatively uh, good foot pursuit into a, uh, an arrest, and I uh, com- blew the knee out, but still caught the guy, thank God. And uh, just the other day, another bad guy with a gun, and um, he decided to put it, throw a chop block at me, trying to avoid the arrest, and blew the knee backwards and. So I'm on round three of ACL surgery. Well,
0: you're getting to be a pro at this, and I'm not sure that's anything anybody should be a pro at. Well, I, right. I, I got sidetracked a little bit. So you, you, you got in in uh, 2008. Uh, as I mentioned at the outset, just served until 2012. Um, uh, you, uh, one of your assignments, uh, rotations, uh, was over in Afghanistan. Can you give us a thumbnail about that with the 1st Battalion, 2nd Marines?
1: Yeah, yes, uh, I was a 1-2 Charlie Company, uh, 3rd Platoon. Um, At the time, I was a Lance Corporal uh, designated to an assistant squad leader role. Um, We were over in uh, Musicala at that time. Um, 3rd Platoon, we were kind of down in the valley. Um, We had Route Black and Route Dick. Uh, We were in what we call the green zone where all the uh, poppy and opium fields were uh one day our command came down said hey we're going to go on a 3 day op uh, and we all knew the second you came out uh our compound sat on the uh east side of Route Black and we knew the second we went out through Route Black if you went 20 meters north you were getting contact no questions asked so um really, hey we're going to come out through Route Black we're going to punch north 3 day op push it up to the flet uh the forward line of enemy troops And um, push the contact kind of deal. So uh, everyone kits up, we get out. um, Probably about 25 meters into north on Route Black, we get our first contact. We were kept pushing, pushing. We were in it for about eight hours. We were just bounding uh, between first and second platoon and third platoon, uh, pushing north. Uh, Get to a certain point, um, come up across the canal. We had to get into the canal, come out of the canal. And uh, we had a building off southwest-west of where we were. I believe it, on our map, it was building 8-3. And uh, the um, platoon sergeant goes, hey, third, third squad, I need you guys to take over building 8-3, uh, bed down for the night, set up 50% security. So um, we had to get back over another canal to get to this building. Uh, I actually had four ANA, um, Afghan National Army guys, attached to my team. So uh, I go the first one to get across because we have not cleared this building yet. Um, Get across, and there was just, like, one solo tree on the canal that I could just reach to get myself to pull myself up. So I decided to stay there, hold security, and stay on that tree so I could help the other guys get out faster to get up to the building. So um, get my seven guys across, uh, my buddy who's normally – Uh, number two or number three in the stack ends up being number one on the stack because I had to rotate out and stay on that tree. Uh, We get through the compound wall. We go to take the door. Um, My one man steps on a uh, pressure plate. Um, Both of us uh, catch the the brunt of the blast there on foot. Um, And it's almost comical, but I remember getting going in the air and in my head, I'm replaying the Ricky Bobby scene from uh, Talladega Nights when he goes, uh, I'm in the air, this isn't good. Like, I remember saying that to myself. Um, and it actually ended up putting me back uh, The blast was so big, it actually threw me back over the compound wall um, into the canal. Um, so at that time, obviously, shock is set in. Um, at the time, didn't know injuries, but sustained a lot of injuries. And um, I was drowning. Next thing I know, um, Lance Corporal Nolan and uh, Doc Helton, I had one of them on each side. They were pulling the straps on my flak, and they pulled me up enough to where I can get my head out of the water, finally catch some air, and uh, they dragged me up back uh, behind the compound wall. That obviously—that IED blast initiated a firefight, so um, we had uh, the scout sniper team with us as well. They start laying down what they had to lay down because they had to get a bird into to medevac myself and... Uh, my buddy Lance Corporal Griffin at the time, um, I believe uh, I took three auto-injectors of uh, morphine. Doc goes to fire on a tourniquet, and what we, well, what my guys learned after my injury is we, they stopped wearing their tourniquets up on their shoulders um, because between the sun and in and out of the water and the sweat, it, w- it dry-rotted the tourniquets. So where that plays in the role to me is they're throwing that cat two on me um, I suffered a, uh, femoral artery injury. It actually severed. Um, so they're spinning a the tourniquet on, um, when they're hitting the spindle, the first tourniquet ended up snapping. So it was dry right? Right, it was right on my shoulder. So, um, another doc comes over doc Helton at that time. So doc Helton, I'm sorry, doc lane and doc Helton come over. Uh, they get a tourniquet on me. Uh, I remember Lance Corporal Downs. He had his knee up in my groin area just throwing every bit of pressure he could up on that artery. Um, and then in the midst of this, I actually got shot twice because of the firefight that I didn't find out till a day later when I woke up in the uh, at Camp Leatherneck. But um, so I got a tourniquet on, uh, Corporal Downs got a, a knee in my groin, and then Doc Helton's got his hands in there trying to grab a, for more artery to uh, stop some bleeding there. So finally, uh, they were able to get a medevac unit in, um, bring the helo in, uh, obviously a hot LZ to get me on the uh, gurney. Well, as they're carrying me to the the helo, my squad leader was on my uh, top left side, like where my head is. Well, go figure, uh, his three-point sling on his buttstock, the sling unraveled. His buttstock swings down, smacks me in my face, and that—that's what decided to knock me out. Finally, <laughs> um, his buttstock cracking me in the head. Next thing I know, I woke up on the helo. Um, they flew us down into uh, Camp Leatherneck for immediate, immediate medical treatment, obviously to a higher echelon of care. Um, I'm here talking to you today because Lance Corporal Griffin is unable to. He uh, succumbed to his injuries about halfway to Camp Leatherneck. He. Uh, he lost both legs and uh, both arms instantly uh, upon the IED blast, um, which he took probably 90% of the blast off of me, which ultimately ended up saving my life. Um, So this year, I'm sorry, um, every year, I still make the trek out to Arlington where he is buried every April 1st. I've been there since 2010 for the exception of 2020, which is kind of heartbreaking being uh, COVID and the pandemic arlington was shut down i couldn't be there for the 10-year anniversary but i still roger up with um probably four guys still show up and uh tyler's parents are there every year and we go to that gravesite every year and i just thank god that uh i'm still here i take my kids there um still too young to understand but one day they will but they at least come with me and it's good for um tyler's parents to see the kids and so i had twin boys um the gentleman that passed was Tyler Owen Griffin. So I have Lorenzo Owen and uh, Luca Tyler are my son. So their middle names uh, mirror his name.
0: Well, it, it, you know, unfortunately, we have too many of these stories on Veterans Radio. And and I always like to have the name of the officer or the enlisted men here, the Lance Corporal, uh, who, who essentially gave his life to save yours. So where, where was Lance Corporal Tyler Owen Griffin from?
1: He was from uh, Voluntown, Connecticut. Uh, he was um, the only second person uh, to Voluntown's knowledge. He was the only second KIA in a war uh, since like the inception of the United States of America. Um, he was one of the only kids, I believe, that actually enlisted from his high school. Uh, and then shortly thereafter, um, the incident, uh, his parents ended up having to leave. They wanted to leave Voluntown, I guess it was. Too hard for them to stay in the town. It was a very small, typical American town. Not that many people, and I think it was too hard for them. So they ended up just uh, moving down to Florida, um, probably for better peace of mind for themselves. Um, but Ballington, Connecticut, is where uh, Tyler was from.
0: Well, uh, we again we want to remember him. Um, it, it, <laughs> Rich and I have a, a mutual friend who said you got to talk to this guy because he is the luckiest. Unlucky guy I've ever met, and you've just heard some of the uh, unlucky things that happened to him in Afghanistan, and the lucky things that happened along the way to keep him alive and keep him here today. Uh, what what year was that, uh, um, Rich?
1: So that uh, that incident occurred April 1st of 2010.
0: So, as uh, listeners, you might imagine rich came back he had to have all kinds of surgeries done to him uh, to kind of put the pieces back together which they did um, and uh, returned to the marine corps uh, his his battalion and the next lucky thing happened he gets a call out of the blue from uh, his commanding officer who's sitting with marine special operations command officers who are saying hey, uh, we've got this uh, interesting role we need filled, and we think uh, Rich Costanga may be the guy. So tell us how you ended up in MARSOC.
1: So I was uh, actually in my my, uh, bunk there, get a call from my CEO. um, And I'm I'm guessing it was a joke they were attempting to play on me, which ended up being a pretty good one. But um, CEO called, um, seemed pretty jacked off, and just simply said, hey, I got two guys. I got a captain and a staff sergeant from Marsawk standing in my office about you. You need to get down to HQ right now. So I'm reverting back like, all right, where was I leave this weekend? Or what? did I do something on a night six? And couldn't think of anything. So the uh, first thing I did was bust out a quick shave, make sure it was uh, clean and cut in case I was going to go get NJP'd or yelled at. <laughs> so uh, cleaned up, got my uh, butt down there to HQ, got into my CEO's office, and um, basically, he wanted to sound mad because there was an opportunity to present itself. Um, somebody that knew somebody that knew somebody uh, said I would be a, a good role for an instructor over at MARSOC. Uh, the captain and the staff sergeant said, hey, would you like to do this? Um, I obviously jumped at the opportunity and um, got to go over to MARSOC over at Stones Bay and uh, be an instructor. Uh, I got to do technical in, um, got to do some LTT stuff with those guys cqb training for well ha-
0: hang on training. i'm going to have you explain all that but before we get there uh, rich I, uh, uh, most folks don't know what marsoc is um, and as i said it's the marine uh, uh, forces special operations command and it came about in 26 i think um uh, 2006 when DOD kind of put out the word that every, every component's going to give something here to, the, to Special Operations Command, and, hey, Marine Corps, you don't have anybody, so stand this up so that you can give them to us. Um, and and uh, there's a rich history here that we want to talk about, too, but, but this was sort of a new opportunity, wasn't it, uh, come, you know, uh, uh, what was it, 2011 uh, when they approached you? Um, so this, yeah, so this was the- early on.
1: Yeah, so it would have been uh, early in 2011. Um, uh, the injury date, uh, like I said earlier, was April 1, 2010. I spent, I think, four and a half months over at um, Bethesda, Maryland, at the Naval Hospital there at Walter Reed. Uh, 32 surgeries later, I was finally able to get discharged and go home for a little bit and then eventually got back down to one, two. But, um, yeah, when that opportunity arised, uh, I jumped at the bit, and truth be told, if um I wouldn't have been, uh, I'm not going to say forced, but given the option of a medical retirement, I would have done my bare minimum 20. I absolutely love the Marine Corps. I love more being over there with those guys. Um, I thought that was my calling. and I wanted to be there forever, but injuries kind of had me part ways with the military, which I still uh, regret, but don't because now I wouldn't have met my now wife, had my three kids and. I, I'm very happy where I am, and, and you, we can Monday morning quarterback all day, but more of the stories, I loved where I was and I wanted to stay, just wasn't allowed.
0: Yeah, and, and again, you know, uh, life moves on, but we learn a lot of lessons, and we make a lot of friends, uh, and we we gain a lot of skill set along the way, and you certainly have. Um the, the Marsoc has uh, now been uh, able to change its name, if you will, uh, back to Marine Raiders. Can you explain a little bit about the 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 uh, history and significance of that change?
1: So uh, back in back in the day, pre uh, the 2006 era you just spoke about, there was the Marsoc and it was the Marine Corps Raiders uh, a while back. Now that name must. Have Caught some attention of in a negative way, so they went away with that name. So, whenever Marsaw got reinstated, the Marine Corps Raider was actually not allowed to be or was not used. So, when I was over there, everyone was more or less blanketed an O370, and then Euro 371s was basically anyone that was an officer. It was a generalized MOS field. Um, now, back in twenty tail end of 14 and 15, they readopted the name. The Marine Corps Raiders, they are also, uh, they got their own pins now for uh, camis and uniforms and whatnot, which was not in existence when I was there at the end of 11 and, or I'm sorry, at the um, beginning of 11 uh, till 12, till I got separated, that was not there. Um, but that was uh, the significance of the name change and we're, like I said, I believe it was just a bad rap early in the... 1960s and 70s is when that name went away but they at least got it reinstated they were always fighting for it it's good for them for getting it
0: back well it's got a lot of history and it it has come and gone a couple of times it was in use in 1942 to 1944 in world war ii and then went away and again some of this is uh you know raiders got a bad name uh maybe a context to some people but part of it too is the marine corps is an elite group does it need an elite group inside the elite group? So there's always been some discussion about that. Um, and so when in uh, 2000 and I think it was five or six, when uh, Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld said, hey, uh, you know, we're, we need a component from the Marines here. This kind of got reactivated. Um, and so, again, a lot of history. Talk to us about the kind of training that you were mentioning a mission, a minute ago that the that you know the the marines are the elite Here, this is the elite to the elite what additional training do these guys get uh, who are marine raiders at the time that you were in marsac
1: so not going uh too far into some stuff to be honest i'm not entirely sure what's still classified what's still nazi classified um now uh you know if you can say the marine corps is the elite group right now marine um at least on my side of the house when I was infantry, everyone had to go through land navigation. And when you're going through land navigation, everyone's got their map, their compass, and, you know, you're trying to find that little ammo can out in the middle of Camp Lejeune or Camp Guy or wherever you're at. Uh, just to take that, you know, the, if those are your elite guys, now you take the elite guys, uh, i.e., MARSOC, RECON, all those cats. Um, well, hey, you're yeah, you're going to have a map a protractor. You still got to find that box, but you can't get caught, which means you can't be simply just walking down a path and, you know following your azimuth and reverse and all that stuff so you have to just kind of take it a step further and uh that's the way i look at it is got everyone has the the basics and as long as if you're phenomenal at the basics and that's all you know you're always going to be eligible or be able to go to that next elite spot and that kind of transforms into the world where i am now um in the le side of the house um you could say everyone at the uh, the DEA, the FBI, hey, those are all your elite guys, right? They're federal cops. Like, those are the best. Well, within those groups, you have more elite groups. Like, you have your SWAT guys. You have your phenomenal undercover guys who embed themselves with different criminal organizations. So that there is a, a bar that does separate elite from within the so-called elite. Uh, and um, – but as far as like your land nav, your close course combat, uh, even your medical, like everything's taken a step higher um, and you're just held to a higher standard. And the best part is that I've always found everyone who is in a specialized field, whether it was Marines, MARSOC, um, Navy, Navy SEALs, those guys that are in those more elite groups. Those are the guys that want to be there. So now you're surrounded by everyone who does want to do what you're doing, i.e. to the infantry. You know, you have a thousand guys in a battalion. You know, you have some people that simply joined for the health care. Some people that joined to get out of a bad home life or someone to get out to get a paycheck every two weeks, which is all good and grand. Hey, you signed that contract. Good for you. But when you take it a step further, now you have guys like, well, hey, I want to do CQB. I want to learn tackle NF. I want to learn foreign weapons. I want to learn demo. So you're surrounded by more, I want to say an all-star group and everyone has the same goals. And that just pushes everyone to be better when yeah. you're just in a generalized field. That's kind of hard to come by.
0: Absolutely. I've always,
1: and I've always lived by a thing you are. i.e., like myself, I'm a combination of my five closest people I keep in my circle. So out of my five friends, I take all their best personal attributes and I become that. So you take that into a specialized unit, whether it's LE or law enforcement, You be, now you're trying to be the best gunfighter out of this guy. You want to be a better medic than that guy. You want to be a better RTO than that guy. Um, you want to be in better shape than the guy that's in the best shape. You take all those attributes and that forms you.
0: And, and when you went over to instruct and they specifically searched you out for this, was there a specific area that you did instruction in, Rich?
1: So my main wheelhouse, um, I was a CQB guy. Um, I just lo- I, I love that. Um, and I still actually teach that to this day. Uh, I'm on a SWAT team now where I get to throw in my two cents to kind of break up the LE side of the house. Um, just to give them more food for thought, kind of thing. But um, I've always taken a thing to CQB and um, uh, medic stuff. Uh, I got to go to the uh, LTT school or DMOC. I believe that's what they're calling it now. Um, and that's actually the training I received there. Kind of saved me uh, here. I'd say in the last three months, I was actually in a car crash back in January, uh, working with our mutual friend Todd. I was. Uh, again unlucky luckiest guy in the world driving the road i get t-boned uh someone pulling out of a gas station during a surveillance detail so this t-bone knocks me into oncoming traffic and then i go head on with another vehicle uh all i can hear is that lady screaming i'm on blood thinners i'm on blood thinners i'm bleeding um i was able i had to crawl in my back seat cuz my whole front end crumbled I had to crawl in my back seat kick my way out of my passenger side door um, still had my team bag, actually not the same contents, but still had my team bag from overseas. Um, the team IFAC. So I grab it, I ran over, um, just second nature, you know, a tourniquet, threw an Israeli bandage on her, not thinking anything crazy. Well, then I had, uh, a boss, a supervisor, uh, so local PD guys showed up and just the look on their faces of how did you know how to do that? It's like, well, I, I was trained at one point and you know, I've been exposed to certain things in my life that me freaking out and me not doing anything is not going to help this lady today. Like I didn't, I'm not going to sit here and say I saved her life, but a 70% plan now is better than a hundred percent plan later. Yeah, absolutely. So I, And, uh, and then sh- shockingly enough, uh, two weeks prior to this injury here, I was, uh, leaving a convenience store. I ha uh, I literally watched a lady in a wheelchair, try crossing a main road. And, uh, she gets ran over by a Cadillac Escalade. And so I, same thing, grabbed my team kit. I went over, um, had to stabilize her neck and she actually had a skull fracture above her left eye where I could see directly in. I could see her brain because of her skull fracture. Um, Was able to, thankfully had my radio on me, uh, rogered up for uh, assistance and medics. We were able to get her life flighted out uh, within seven minutes and um, she ended up surviving. So, again, just being able to train with, and I still revert back to you know 2010, 2011, and 12, when one I was exposed to a lot of bad things, and then learning all these other uh, things with you know within MARSOC, it still helps me and uh, act accordingly when I have to uh, in very bad situations today.
0: Well, you know, one of the things that in talking to a lot of guys, uh, you know, and, and you probably have this feeling that. You were given a gift of life by lance corporal griffin and and all the guys who worked on you from the moment the docs were there to the flight to the surgeons you were given a gift and i kind of hear in these stories that you're returning the gift um, to others whether it be just an accident that you see happen uh, or as part of uh, uh, your current situation where you're working for a three-letter agency we're not going to talk about um but you know you, you you it sounds like you are and i hope hope you are uh living life living the gift that you you were given and being able to return it i i think that's wonderful
1: thank you sir and uh i love that you see it that way and then on on my side um I've never thought of it that way either. I just have always thought, like, hey, someone's in trouble, go help.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: Whether that, like, when I worked on the streets locally, like, dealing with, uh, you know, violent domestics or shootings or, you know, child cases, um, you always just kind of, like, you want to help because now having three kids, like, if, if I'm not around and, God forbid, my wife and my three kids get in a car accident, I would hope somebody was in the wrong place at the right time to, be able to help and you know beat the 911 call to beat the dispatchers trying to get cops and medics out to that area, I would hope somebody would do the same thing. And that's kind of what goes through my head. And again, just unlucky and lucky, like unlucky I was T-boned and uh was still able to help somebody and then unlucky I was literally leaving a convenience store. I was getting a monster because I was just starting my shift and <laughs> you know saw this and I'm like again, just wrong place, right time. Um, but for that person it was right place, right time and you know
0: well uh, as i say it's returning the gift and 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 what goes through your mind is i hope somebody returns a gift to, to my family if it's ever a need and uh, some call it karma whatever you want to call it but it, it it certainly is a gift of life and extremely important i really want to thank rich costanga for coming on today uh, getting out of his comfort zone t- talking to uh, veterans radio um talking about his experience in the Marines and MARSOC and what they do and how they train to that next level um, and and giving our Veteran Radio listeners some insight into all of this. Rich, um, thanks for taking a little time away from the family today to talk to Veterans Radio.
1: Thank you, Jim. Thank you for having me on, sir.
0: And I want to thank everybody for listening to Veterans Radio today. I am Jim Fossone. It's been a pleasure to be your host. I'm a Veterans Disability Lawyer at Legal Help for Veterans, and you can reach us at 800-693-4800 or legalhelpforveterans.com on the web. You can follow Veterans Radio on Facebook and listen to its podcasts and Internet radio shows by going to veteransradio.net. And until next time, you are dismissed. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans' Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. We again want to thank our national sponsors, the National Veterans Business Development Council, nvbdc.org, VA Ann Arbor Health Care System, The Vietnam Veterans of America, Charles S. Kettles Chapter, Ann Arbor, Michigan. VFW Graf O'Hara, Post 423 in Ann Arbor. And the American Legion, Press Corn, Post 46, also in Ann Arbor. And the Veterans Lending Council, which advises lenders, realtors, buyers about VA Home Loan Program, and you can find them on Facebook. We appreciate all your support. You can go to veteransradio.net, click on the sponsor level, and continue to support keeping Veterans Radio on the air. And until next time, you are dismissed.